Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, James Purnell outlines his strategy for a strong BBC, why the Snoopers Charter is a problem for journalists, there's a new national newspaper for the north of England, we'll unpick how that works, plus 360 video, is it the future, the Sun relaunches its website and Top Gear's ratings. Oh, and whisper it, there's another media quiz. That's all to come on today's Media Podcast. And joining me this Friday at the Hospital Club is the Fleet Street Fox herself, the freelance reporter, Susie Boniface. Uh, And Susie, I emphasise the freelance because it was National Freelancers Day this week. Yay! How did you celebrate? Having a snooze. Did you charge? Not doing any work at all. (laughs) No, I couldn't bill anybody. It was quite annoying. (laughs) It's one of the luxuries of being a freelancer, of course. Occasionally, you can just take a day to dreaming up how to invoice people for things that you'd be doing anyway. (laughs) Catch up on a box set. Yeah, I'm halfway through billions. Uh, And alongside Susie this week is the MD of Talkback Television. It is friend of the show, Leon Wilson. Hello, Leon. Hello, Ollie. Hi. Hello, Susie. Hello, Um, Leon. Congratulations. These two are getting on famously. They both work for the same local paper at one point, but not at the same time. Yeah, the Evening Herald. In Plymouth. I, mean, I, I, I say, well, I, I, did, I did two weeks' work experience, so that's probably working. Yeah. But I, I did two years' hard slog yeah. as a defence reporter. Congratulations on your BAFTA. Thank Leon. you. Well, not my, Lee Francis' no, no, BAFTA. No, no, it's but your yeah, BAFTA. For Celebrity Juice, yeah, it was there. It was a very big moment for him and for us. Uh, and elsewhere in Talkback Land, you're uh, working on QI at the moment with a new host, of course. We just finished filming a series, well, it must be uh, 15, series N. 591. Uh, with a new host, Sandy Toxvig, uh, who's been absolutely excellent. We finished filming on Tuesday... And she's been, I mean, Stephen's obviously a legend and been fantastic series, but Sandy's been a breath of fresh air in many ways. Everyone that has done the show has really loved doing it. And I think people will be really pleased when they see the show starts this this autumn on BBC Two. And it's really brilliant. She's been absolutely been really fantastic to work with Sandy. You might, there must have been a moment, even with a presenter as seasoned as that and as loved by the audience as that, you're still you're replacing a national travel yeah, with another. It was a time, I was a little bit worried, I must say, when I first heard that Stephen's leaving. Yeah, it's uh, like trying to find a replacement for the Queen Mum. It is quite, yeah. Uh, and actually, but I think John Lloyd was convinced it had to be Sandy and he was completely right. Alright, well, I look forward to seeing He would you. say that, wouldn't he? No, it's true though. <laughs> she was really good. I went down on the first record and I, I got there a little bit late and I thought he'd been running for I had to ask them, how long has this been going on for? And I think it had been on for a couple of hours. And they were like, it's only been going 10 minutes. And it felt so normal. 
and so right within literally 10 minutes of her doing it it was really interesting I was I thought it would take maybe a series for to bed in but it was literally from from the first day uh, right let's talk about telly more broadly and the BBC more broadly this week the BBC's director of strategy James Pennell spoke about the white paper and what the Beeb still needed to do to achieve a decent license fee settlement is that still going on my god uh, his plan was threefold uh, first water down the service licenses that stifle creative freedom next stopping the national audit office from getting into BBC Worldwide uh, and finally the well-trailed talk of who sits on the unitary board uh, Susie let's start with this thing about the National Audit Office uh, the BBC fought tooth and nail to stop them looking at their UK operations uh, but ultimately then we found out about all these terrible business decisions that had been happening at the BBC like the Digital Media Initiative so why not uh, you know, let the National Audit Office look at Worldwide as well well, it's one of these things, isn't it? If you've got nothing to hide, why on earth wouldn't you let an auditor in to look at your books? Um, the reason to say, perhaps, that BBC Worldwide doesn't need to have it is because it's not the licence fee pays money, it's profits on um, the worldwide sales and that kind of thing. But this is still generated by the BBC. It's still stuff that's generated somehow along the line by taxpayers' money. And if you haven't got a problem with it, what is the problem with letting a bunch of accountants come in and make sure you're spending it on things that are reasonable? You know, you must be worried about something if you're saying no to an audit, aren't you? Well, not necessarily. I can take your point, but I think there's an the argument. If if you there's lots of information that might be held within my company that I wouldn't want people knowing about purely because it makes us me less competitive. Because if everyone knows what we pay our t- talent or our staff, um, then that's kind of quite commercially sort of sensitive information that you don't want everyone knowing about. Uh, Pernell also talked about the quagmire that is BBC Studios, uh, the corporation's new shiny new in-house production company. Uh, they're going to start tendering contracts in the autumn, which is much faster than expected. Uh, but Leon, he was essentially saying, we want this to go even faster than that. Yeah, it's something we don't really know exactly how it's going to work to go even faster. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll be impressed if they do manage to get it all going by, all, by the autumn. But I'm quite excited to see what shows go out to tender. It, doesn't really, it won't be a big thing for us at TalkBack because we do mainly entertainment. And I mean, obviously, there's already our shows that have been put out to tender in the past, like Question Time being one of them that's made by Mentor. So it's not, this isn't unusual, but it'd be interesting to see how quickly they can get it done because radio has the same channel. The radio equally has 60% of programmes, I think, have to go to uh, be biddable by private companies. And they're nowhere near that at the moment. And if they're going to really step this up, then they're going to have to really get on the case quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's talking the talk, but I'd be amazed if it was not till midway through next year before you start seeing some of this, this t- tendering process get, get going. OK, final bit on the Beeb this week. And I uh, just wanted to cast a glance on whether or not any of you listening are about to become the editor of BBC Two uh, because uh, you've got a chance. Uh, Private Eye revealed this week that there were just two applications for the post of editor of BBC Two uh, by the deadline at the end of May. Uh, do you think this uncertainty is going to actually have an effect on commissioning? Yeah, it already has massively. I mean, the commissioning's sort of pretty much ground to halt within certain parts of the BBC, uh, as it has a little bit with ITV, though that's picking up. It's kind of amazing that only two people want that job. Um, I mean, only only two people think they're qualified to do it, but that's kind of. I think everyone recognises it's quite a hard challenge to sort of try in, in the, at the BBC and commissioning. I think things have slowed down. I think they'll probably pick up in the next six months, but it really has slowed down commissioning from what I can see. But of course, Susie, plenty of people out there in media land are qualified to have you know the taste and variety of opinions to manage a massive budget uh, for I'll a channel do it that can inform, educate and entertain. Yeah. So why don't they throw their hat in the ring? You know, it, People obviously feel that if they haven't run a BBC service before, they won't get charged 
chosen? Uh, it's partly because the BBC is a bit of a closed shop. It's a bit of a, or even if it isn't a closed shop, people do get jobs there from elsewhere. It's, it's got this sort of mindset and mentality that it's like a little family or a, a, an incestuous group of people, however you want to think about it. And outsiders don't get in. And once you get in, you never get out anywhere else again. But also, it's probably to do with the fact that because we've had the licence fee talks and we've had the uh, renewal a license for your new business going on and everything else and John Whittingdale saying he wants to do this that and the other to the BBC there's been a lot of uncertainty and it's like any other uh, organisation where there is uncertainty about the future and about funding everyone just steers well clear for a bit you know and um, you know if, if if Talkback for example we're going to suddenly and I'm sure you're not going to suddenly announce a load of budget cuts you're going to find that there's fewer people dealing with Talkback and Talkback is commissioning less stuff while they get over that period of uncertainty and it's the same thing with the BBC at the moment I'm sure I think one of the reasons that people maybe wouldn't reply to BBC2 editor rather than controller than in the past they might is the rise of the professional commissioner there is an expectation now that to do that job you have to have been a commissioner for many years and risen within the ranks if you look back to the BBC2 in the 70s when David Attenborough came was the controller of BBC2 he was straight from being a producer well, a brilliant producer but a producer presenter and he ran BBC2 successfully for three or four years and that was more commonplace then well let's give it to someone bright that's clever that knows their shit basically and can pick good programmes and keep a happy ship that isn't an expect. that is not the case anymore I think you have to have run the expectation is you have to have run a major department or a channel on a part time basis and I think that's a shame personally because I agree I think it, there is probably an opportunity there to go let's put someone really bright in the role they may not have the right experience but they're just going to cr- help shape, shape yeah, the but channel that, yeah because the way you're talking about there what you do is you end up just promoting or bringing in it's the same, same people, people in a little circular motion all yeah. on the same level no one gets moved up no one gets moved down uh, it's, everyone has, shop, you know, it's a closed shop it goes round and round the circle between you know, a certain managerial level and like you say, you don't get bright people who come up from underneath who may have a brilliant idea and don't get to, you know, enforce it. Well, let's be honest, half your time is going to be defending Top Gear, isn't it? Which it probably, gotta, yeah, it's, it's be a very good point. Uh, no one would want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to try later. Uh, also this week, Channel 4 pushed back on government plans to move their commissioning team to Birmingham uh, or Manchester. That was discussed as well, wasn't it? But Birmingham was pretty much the focus. Speaking in front of MPs at the DCMS Select Committee, Channel 4's chairman, Charles Grasser, said it wasn't about programmes, it's that Channel 4 needed to be where the sales houses were. Uh, Leon, that's true, isn't it? If you're running Channel 4, all the sales houses are in Soho. No, they're not. They're not, they're not. A lot of them are in London. And Channel 4 deal with, I think, 650 different independent production companies, a lot of whom are outside the M25. A lot of them are in London, obviously, but it's not. They're quite, I think, Channel 4 one of the most sort of uh, regional focused broadcasters there are. I just found it funny that he was saying, we can't go to, to Birmingham because there's no one there. I mean, as if anyone wanted to go to Manchester working at the BBC five years ago, no one wanted to. But it wasn't their choice, ultimately. It was forced upon them by the government. And if the government decide that they want to move to Birmingham, they will. You know, So the fact they come out and said, we're not moving it's like well it's not your choice really i do feel like there's a bit more warmth towards salt sulfur now quite a few entertainment producers i know have moved up there and making shows in and around manchester they found a decent latte place that's yeah why. i think it has they put a private slow, i mean <laughs> you know i think they, they really it, i think it's been quite a painful process but I'm, i think it, it can work it just takes a long time uh susie this as well is another of john whittingdale's ideas isn't it you know privatizing or, or part privatizing channel four moving it up to birmingham he hasn't really got much of what he wanted, has he? Unless the whole thing was just an elaborate ploy to make us think it was going to be he's much worse than it actually was. He's a man that likes being denied was. and punished. <laughs> yeah, he's not. Been, I was about to make a joke about the fact he's not been whipping anybody into shape and uh, hasn't really been dominating anyone here. He's been rather submissive. Mm. No, he's, he's, he's just... They have this attitude. I saw him being interviewed by Christian on uh, Channel 4 a little while ago and he was quite, you know, uh, on the back foot, really. 
about the whole thing and it just made me think that he hasn't got much chance of it. It's a lot of hot air and a lot of talk but not an awful lot of actually managing to get things done because oh. they can suggest something but once it actually goes to the Commons and then the Lords it gets pushed back as a lot of Tory legislation has been done recently. Yeah, exactly. I think that's part, that is part of the story, isn't it? That you show me a public minister that's willing to sort of piss off anyone at the moment in the face of Brexit. I think that is definitely helping Channel 4 and BBC's case. Moving on, and something else that caught our eye at the Media Summit this year, the rise of VR and 360-degree video. Uh, Sky are investing a lot of money into this, and the BBC have just released three documentaries this week, two of which you can download for the VR headset Oculus Rift. That's Easter Rising, Voice of a Rebel, and We Wait. And they've also made Trooping the Colour, a 360-degree video of that, available to watch online. Uh, Susie, have you dabbled in 360? I saw something on Facebook earlier on. You know, Facebook keeps telling you to be friends with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Like he doesn't have anyone to be friends with. I just keep seeing it in my feed. He has a very attractive dog. Okay. I don't, say why. <laughs> I don't want to see his holiday photos dog, particularly. But it's the dog that but, um, Be friends with Mark Zuckerberg thing this morning had a 360 video from the top of uh, World Trade Center building. And I looked at it and I thought, well, that's very interesting and gadgety. But you know what? I don't really care enough to have this in my life on a regular basis or to make a huge amount of effort. I'm sure the tech geeks will love this kind of stuff stuff and the BBC and Sky are saying oh we need to start investing in bloody blah, blah blah but you know if you if in terms of news for example if you were going to have a 360 degree immersive experience of uh, migrants coming off a boat on a Greek island which is one of the things Sky has filmed that yeah actually because it is horrific enough to watch that kind of thing in 2D never mind uh, you know with the 360 video and all the rest of it I mean there are some immersive experiences you might want to do, but I don't think most people are going to really. People are quite happy with the way things are. Why do they have to fiddle with it? But, but you, you wouldn't say. You, Why do we have to innovate? Yeah, you, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Exactly. Well, they can innovate. There are, oh, reasons, there are times you that you would say, want 360 video, but not generally all the time as a matter of thumb. No, it's just not going to get used. No. I mean, bear in mind, Google Glass was an innovation, and it just did not take off. People uh, do uh, not want something. No, Facebook have a vested interest here. They bought Oculus Rift, didn't they? Oh. And they've got. Yes. They bought a huge. Put, put, sunk a lot of money into this, so they want to make this work. But you wouldn't say oh no one wants to see migrants on a boat in HD like it's accepted now that you know the BBC and Sky film all their news in HD because some people want to see the best quality yep. possible is it just future proofing in 10 years time will everything be available for your virtual reality headset so of course you want the news in that as well it doesn't become then a gadgety thing of oh look I can look left and right it's just the way things yeah, are yeah but it'll become like you know like the red button sort of click here if you want the 360 experience if you want this bit in a thing it's just an extra option for people and most people I bet you any money if they had the option and they had all the kit and equipment and everything else would still watch it in the old-fashioned way well that's that's sort of the crux of it isn't it leon tv's a lean-back experience basically you know yes you can choose to watch what you want when you want it but generally speaking people don't want 3d and they don't want no. virtual reality they if just you, want to be entertained if you couldn't convince people to just put some glasses on to watch 3d then the idea of convincing people to put on a headset and all the kit that you need to, and the, the setup time you know it's not you know they do quite a lot require quite a lot, quite a lot of calibration those kits it's not something that's going to be used by your average consumer i think computer games has a really good application and that's i think that will work in some form in the next well, it's working already but it will catch on to a limited screen but it's not i don't think it's gonna work in general you know uh, broadcast media no and you've also got to remember if you have to wear headsets for anything that um you know a third of people in this country wear 
spectacles when they're mm. watching the television, that kind of thing. You can't damn well get 3D glasses over the front of it. You can't get an Oculus Rift headset over your specs. Um, you know, there are some ways that you can get around that. But it's just, you know, and also people like me, one in a hundred who have epilepsy, again, some viewing experiences you find a little bit difficult, especially 3D because things are a bit out of sync. Do you so have photosensitive epilepsy? I have photosensitive epilepsy. Well, you're the, pe- the Harding test that we have to do all our shows. So this is, I've never met anyone with photosensitive epilepsy. Well, you know when they say before, um, before all the news reports, Beware, there's yeah, flashing. Yeah, you have that. It makes That's no damn weird. difference. You know, epilepsy is a spectrum condition, so you can have someone of whom, whom it does not affect in the least, or not very much, like me. I've had two seizures in my whole life. Or you can find someone who's having a seizure every five minutes, and pe- seizures are different, they affect people different ways. You know when you're very tired and your eyelid flickers uncontrollably? Yeah. That's a mini seizure. You know, everyone is potentially epileptic. You all have a seizure threshold, and you can get pushed over it if you drink too much absinthe. It's just... Okay. Yeah. You are listening to the media Sorry. podcast. This isn't the Naked Scientist. Uh, just this is what I want to hear, Ollie. Final point on the 360-degree thing. Are you saying, Leon, if Sky, like they did with 3D, suddenly said, well, here's a huge pot of money to develop stuff. We want you guys at Talkback to do a comedy show for us. Uh, Jimmy Carr's on board. We've got £2 million. Develop us a 360-degree comedy show. Are you saying, really, you'd say, no, that sounds shit? Well, obviously, I would say yes in that instance, but but I wouldn't have pitched that show because I don't think it's something that would work necessarily. But that's not the way broadcasting works, Ollie. Just to be clear, they don't generally come up to you and go, "Do you want to make this show for millions of pounds?" But yes, if they did, if Sky decided they want to give me two million pounds to do it, then yeah, I'd probably go, "Yeah, okay, we'll have a go at this." But your heart wouldn't be in it. Well, I think that's what you're really saying. I think it? it would be literally hard to, to justify doing it because you, if you, unless you feel like what you're doing is going to get to a broad enough uh, section of the, 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 the viewing public, you, you're generally your heart isn't in it. You yeah. want your shows to be seen by a lot most people as possible. And, yeah. and I'm not would, sure people really want 360 degree views of uh, Jimmy Carr's forehead either it's quite a big <laughs> yeah. expanse surround sound on his laugh <laughs> is there an entertainment format it could work for though well there a lot of, we are looking at this actually there's, there's a kind of a couple of people in our company that are looking at this kind of yeah is there a way of using VR and entertainment yeah I think probably do, we looked at doing sort of virtual reality version of the Crystal Maze a couple of years ago a yeah. few companies looking at things like that so more using it within a show rather than for something for the, to watch the show you can imagine Darren Brown doing something creative well he's that, doing that with the, the ghost um, the train. ghost train at Thorpe yeah. That is a, that's yeah. a VR experience, basically. Yeah. yeah, so you could have that on your on your Channel 4 TV show. I think maybe. they might be doing something like that. Yeah, I think there might be something in the works. I've heard you, you about heard it here first, yeah. in 360-degree audio. Uh, more after this. Hey, media podders. You know, for all the good things about being an independent podcast, we navigate the choppy waters of an uncertain digital media ocean where the low winds of advertising revenue can send podcasts through shark-infested waters of production values. I've lost the metaphor a bit. What I'm saying is that without listeners like you putting their hands in their pockets, digging deep and giving us cash, then this show would be stranded in a Bermuda Triangle of monthly episodes. I've lost it again. Basically, help keep us on air. Your money's like a laxative that keeps us regular and our similes strong. Show us you care. That's what I'm saying. Go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate and take out a voluntary monthly subscription. And I can't force you. I just strongly encourage you to go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. Thanks. Now back to the show. (laughs) 
Time for some stories in brief. And first up, some changes at Five Live, the BBC's news and sports station. They've refreshed their schedule, as they say, and friend of the pod, Emma Barnett, has bagged herself a weekday show. Uh, she'll be on from 10am to 1pm, uh, although she'll be on Wednesday to Friday, because uh, they have that weird thing where they don't have the same presenter five days a week. And also they've announced on a Sunday the reunion of Peter Allen and Jane Garvey. Uh, Susie, Five Live's original dream team back together. A good day for Britain. Uh, I didn't mind listening to them at all when they were on during the week. I thought they were very good. I can't believe quite that they thought it was a good idea to split them up. They were good pairing. Um, and I really don't know who's going to listen on a Sunday night much to Five Live. Because Sunday night is the night, of course, the big TV programming and the big must-watch TV programs. That's when Poldark's going to be on. That's when all this, you know, that's the, when they put the big stuff out there. I, I listen to Five Live on a Sunday night, weirdly. That, uh, that's one of the you should be watching Poldark. No, no, I, no, I don't. Like, I know, uh, yeah, it's not for me. Uh, <laughs> I've tried, you know, it just doesn't work. Uh, no, I, weirdly, that's one of the times I listen to Five Live. I think it's quite... I actually, I've never really heard them when they were on radio before. I probably will hear them now. I listen to Hit List occasionally because I often... I don't really watch Antiques Roadshow or Downton and often I'll be washing up or something like that. I would listen to a bit. I'd be quite looking forward to it. I, the, I, nations, the nation's dads who don't yeah, like exactly, Hold exactly. and Downton who are desperate that, to five Yeah, <laughs> 606 is finished. You're desperate for any kind of other entertainment on the radio. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I used to be on Five Live on a Saturday night on Saturday edition and it was pretty clear that our audience then was very clearly dads who don't like the X Factor that's who's in because all the young people are out you know and everyone else is watching uh, the X Factor yeah. and the dads are in the kitchen listening to Five Live um, in the, from that point of view I mean maybe it's going to skew a little bit older with Jane Garvey and Peter Allen and yeah. actually that sort of makes sense you know the younger people yeah, are not going to listen to radio shown they're only on once you know in a week yeah. well you get Jane Garvey on Woman's Hour of course yeah the rest of the time I don't have time to listen to that I've got a job to do and life to lead <laughs> Well, that, which of course is a very woman's hour statement in itself yep. um, they haven't had a great time recently though Five Live um, you know they did have a ratings dip after the last refresh they did get rid of a lot of women then they brought some more in this time what do you make of their output at the moment though Leon? I generally, I quite like Five Live generally. I think it's quite a good station. Uh, I, I can see it's, it's quite middle brow. I like, obviously, I quite like the football coverage. Uh, I quite like the hit list on Sunday nights. There's a few shows I like on Five Live. Uh, I do think it's. I think that the, 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 moving a lot more women onto Five Live seems to be a sort of sticking plaster of not doing anything. The, the Radio Two schedules, I'd suggest, mm. because that's still very, very male, as we all know. And I think that that's the big thing they need to sort out next if they're serious about tackling sort of diversity generally is sorting out Radio 2 because it's a really hard thing they have to accept the fact they're going to have to put some people on Radio 2 that are going to draw less of an audience for the short term because they are fulfilling a brief on uh, boosting diversity they've done it in a lot of other areas and Radio 2 is no different to anywhere else and they have to sort of take that on and why do you think it is Susie that Five Live hasn't cut through in kind of the news agenda in the way that perhaps LBC have these big name interviews you know if a politician's going to come on the air and say something controversial they tend not to say it on Five Live anymore no I mean, John Pienaar gets quite a few sort of uh, news exclusives and Pienaar, stuff in Pienaar. politics. What was that? Well, I can't when John Pienaar's on the radio, I always go, Pienaar, Pienaar. Yeah, but it you just said it like it was everyone else's no, joke. No, I know, but for me, when he's on the radio, <laughs> I don't like John Pienaar. I loved it. How can you he's not like John Pienaar? That's really sacrilege. Right, I don't, he's really right wing. I don't like him. I love John Pienaar. And he's neutral. It's the BBC. I've always found him he's quite not. neutral. Yeah. Anyway, answer anyway, my LBC not. point. Uh, I think I think probably I mean I'm not an expert in how Radio 5 go about things but I think they're probably not asking for those big interviews and stuff because if you are Farage or Boris Johnson or whoever you want to get on the radio airwaves you want to get to people and uh, you wouldn't say no so if they're not on there I'd imagine they're not being asked but that's it isn't it is there a sort of plucky upstartness to LBC which means when someone says something indiscreet in a lift they play it out on the radio or when Boris Johnson says he'll come in they do a phone in with him which Five Live are a bit more complacent about they don't need to do that so actually they don't cut Is through because on Five Live they've got to be balanced a bit more I know LBC sort of has to but they're less bothered by balance LBC a little bit they can afford to 
They seem to be well, the presenters are given the, the opportunity. Yeah, their idea of balance is to get Ken Livingstone in as well. Yeah, which exactly. Is not so that they do individual the shows. Thing. Whereas I think yeah. a, we often have a battle with channels where they'll say you've got to have balance on something, and we go, well, that's the channel should have the balance. But there seems to be people are so hot on it now in compliance that they almost want every show to be balanced. And the BBC are particularly guilty of this. So I imagine if you're someone like Boris or Farage, you would rather go for LBC because you know you're going to get more of a platform to put your point yeah. across. The than BBC have to go are immediately couched with the opposite sort of voice. Yeah, they are painfully pain about having to be balanced. I mean, when I, I do the BBC pay-per-view sometimes, and of course with Brexit coming up and everything else, the first thing they do is say, oh, are you in or out? Because we can't put you on with someone who's the same as you. And my correct response would be, as a news journalist for 25-odd years, is that, I, you know, I'm sort of in the middle and I'm happy to pour a bucket of piss over anybody. So, <laughs> you know, if we, I, you really can't put me in one camp or the other, although I have uh, recently voted by post to remain. But there's, you know... I'm fairly even-handed. I can criticise anyone but they still have to, you know, we must have a man and a woman and we must have a black and a white and we must have a boy and a girl and we must have left and right and we must mm. do this, that and the other. So, oh, it is a bit painful sometimes. I once made the mistake of telling a booker that I voted Lib Dem. And then that was it for me. Oh, they, you're never that's just again. embarrassing on every level. They never want to book a Lib Dem. They're no. like, we want a Labour guy and a Tory guy. It's no. like, I can still talk about yeah. the news. I just oh, quite like Nick Clegg. That, knowing that about you now, it makes so much more sense to me. I understand <laughs> you. So you had more. a brief period of possibility during the coalition. And after that, you'll never get on telling again. Sorry, <laughs> the least cool yeah. person I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, let's talk about snooping. Uh, the BBC's white paper may be getting the headlines, but another piece of proposed legislation has been causing a headache for journalists. Uh, it's called the Investigation powers bill uh, and it's the one that involves collecting data on all of us our telephone calls our websites that we visit to identify security threats and Susie the NUJ has been extremely worried about all of this Yes, quite rightly. Um, one of the things that's happened to explain it is when uh, Tom Newton Dunn, the uh, reporter at The Sun, uh, reported about the Plebgate uh, affair mm. via a police source, um, police force went along and seized his phone records to identify that source without informing him or his employers or anybody else. And then he went and arrested that source, uh, who's since been punished and lost his pension, his job and so on and so forth. Similar things have happened with Mail on Sunday with inv- when they were doing uh, stories about um, Chris Hewn's speeding points uh, and his sort of affair and that kind of thing and they just go and pull the phone records for the company for the office straight off uh, and also it reports individual private mobile phones now that's obviously obviously going to have a chilling effect on journalism on democracy as a whole on scrutiny of people in, in power and so on and it's not beyond the wit of man for the for a police force to have pressure put upon them by a politician writing them a letter or having a word in someone's ear at a do asking a chief constable to have a look at something and before you know it you know the stories are getting wangled out of the public eye if you see what i mean and getting repressed which is obviously not a good thing so we've got the snoopers charter which is an opportunity, it was hoped, by the uh, Lib Dems, God bless them, uh, and Tim Farron uh, and his army of eight, to put some uh, protections in the bill to say that journalist sources were going to be protected from now on. And all they wanted in this amendment was for journalists to know when the police want to have their bills, their phone bills and so on, and to have the right to go to court to argue it. That was all it was. Not a definite protection, not an absolute guarantee that your journalist phone bills will never be seized just that you have the right to go to court to argue that this this in this instance you're not a terrorist you're not helping terrorism that kind of thing and you, you shouldn't really be having to do that because you're actually reporting on why the government are a bunch of scumbags for example and that amendment's been thrown out by the house of commons it's now going to house of lords they might get to reinstall it 
I hope they do. Um, but I also imagine that what would happen, even if that law actually got passed as it is now, and we, if, if we're faced with a similar situation where um, a newspaper finds out after the event that its phone bills have been gone through by plod, that will then go to court. There would be a bunch of appeals and considerations and Supreme Court rulings. And before you know it, probably case law would be against that bit of legislation because I'm pretty certain the judges in this country, for all their failings, are not going to allow that kind of thing to happen for a long period of time because that, that is in contravention of uh, various European rules and regulations, uh, United Nations human rights and things like that. So there would be, there'd be a big clash between that law if it's brought in and other laws which we also have to abide by. So it, you can't just have it without amending it. There's going to have to be a change at some point. But, I mean, if you're doing a long-term investigation as a journalist, I guess what you do at the moment, then, is you go back to the old ways, don't you? You meet people in coffee shops, you don't swap emails and Write things down with a pencil. Write things down with a pencil, yeah, because no one can make you give up your sources. They can just look at your phone bill to see who you've been speaking to. Yes. So, I mean, is it really... You don't commit things to email, you don't do things electronically, you're aware that the possibility that you could be listened to. Everyone involved in the hack attack investigations learnt that as well. They all all abided by the rules of not putting things in on phone messages for obvious reasons, because they knew knew what was possible, you know. So if you read Hack Attack by Nick Davis, which I would urge everyone to do, you and if you're not worried about the sort of curb of press freedom, then read that book and you'll know exactly why we need to not this law needs to well the snoopers chart is a bad thing for journalism basically. But but there are modern technological solutions is what I'm saying as well. There's not even just going back to the old days. There's you know using WhatsApp. I mean if you're using yeah. an encrypted app, no one can see who you're talking to. So is yeah. it really that? I get the principle. I do. I just told you I like the Lib Dems. <laughs> but, but in so reality, does it actually matter? Because you can just WhatsApp your sources. So what? Yes, because lots of journalists are old farts who don't use WhatsApp. <laughs> well, they need to sit in the and park with the, the paper with the holes cut in it. If you don't uphold the principle, as with BBC Public Service Broadcasting or Channel 4s or anything else, if you don't uphold the principle, then before you know it, it's being eaten away at the sides and the principle doesn't exist anymore. So you have to uphold that. OK, well, currently British journalists should be protected under Section 10 of the Contempt of Court Act. Uh, for you media law fans, the year was 1981. 1981. Very, very good. Correct. Ten points. Um, that was a few years ago. Uh, do you feel protected as a journalist? When I give uh, lectures to journalism students around the country, I always say the same thing. Journalists are second-class citizens, or third-class citizens even. I think celebrities are second-class citizens because we consider it a, almost a, a public right to know what's going on in their private lives, unlike anybody else. And the, the general Joe public is as responsible for that as journalists are. Journalists are actually below that because uh, if we are punched or injured or, or killed or something in the course of our jobs, we're told it's our fault. Uh, and I quite often and say to um, students, you know, if you ever go and knock on someone's door and he invites you inside to come in, sit down, he'll tell you what it is you want to know, and then you are raped, boy or girl, he will say to the police, they offered to sleep with me in return for the story. That will happen. It had probably has all happened already. I certainly know of people who have been beaten up and had been threatened with a shotgun, and the police come along and say, uh, well, you were asking for it. You know, this is your job, you're going to get attacked. Whereas, you know, a police officer whose job does involve getting attacked sometimes, if you hit a police officer, you have worse uh, penalties than if you hit a normal member of the public. And you'll generally find that all the rest of Plod come round to visit you in the cell and give you a quick shooing as well. So, you know, other people have more protections because of their job. Journalists have fewer, and you are a second-class citizen. You know, it is considered all right to pull a journalist's mobile bill and see who they've been calling, even if they're only calling their mum, whereas it would be not all right to do that to a general member of the public who hasn't committed a crime. So... You know, there aren't the journalist protections we have in this country, there aren't any 
fundamentally we have what we fight for there is nothing automatic in our laws or constitution that say you can't do this to a member of the press or you can't you cannot do this to journalism as a whole unlike in the u.s constitution where it's actually protected we only have the rights and, and uh, enjoyments that we fight for and stop everyone else taking from us and that's the joys of an unwritten constitution there you go quick law uh man the barricades yeah uh next let's talk about 24 in the north of england uh, Leon, have you heard about this? It's not a commission. It's not Kiefer Sutherland <laughs> no. in Blackpool. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like Metro, but for the North. That's it, yes. Yeah. I, I don't know why we're doing this in the start of the media quiz. We haven't gotten to that <laughs> yeah. bit yet. Uh, but yes, that's it. You have correctly guessed the story. Uh, have you seen this, Susie? This is uh, a new newspaper called 24 uh, being set up for the North of England with most of the content coming from the Press Association. So it's like Metro, but it's a national newspaper for people who live in the North. Is that going to work? There, in theory, there's no reason why not, except they're paying 40p for it a time. Mm. Uh, and the problem, as the Trinity Bureau found a little while ago with the New Day, is that although people say they want a new newspaper that will give them this, that and the other, they say we don't want opinion, we don't want to be told how to think, we want something that's middle of the road, we don't want something that's really right or really left. Uh, they buy the Mail and the Sun in their droves and they don't buy the things that are middle of the road and aren't too opinionated, so they haven't got something to hang your hook in. Uh, and Metro is free, of course, and it's. I, I didn't know it wasn't free. I thought it was a free sheet. No, it's forty p. Oh, yeah. it's got no chance. Of it. Well, yeah. the, what are they thinking? To speak They'll in its favour, um, and I was quite harsh about New Day before it launched. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not going back on myself here. I thought New Day was a terrible idea, and it was. But their only USP really was let's do something that's a bit more female skewing. Whereas I think with this, they're saying. The news agenda is dictated by London. Let's have a national which isn't dictated from London. Actually, I think if I lived in Leeds or Manchester, I'd kind of go along with that. I'd think, yeah. well, where's the paper that just prioritises the story in the order that's relevant to me? Yeah, I think there's a strong regional identity there, and they can tap into that. And there's certainly people who will buy a lot of it. And because it's going to be, I imagine, printed and distributed in roughly the same area. Yeah, and places as well that don't get metro. That don't crucially. get metro, and places that aren't served by... Uh, perhaps other papers quite so well and at a time when local newspapers are uh, failing and when nationals of course are very London centric and they, they don't feel that they're supplying them with the right kind of news it could really do quite well because they're going to have to have uh, fewer sales to make a profit than something like the New Day did that has to be a national nationally yeah, appealing a, thing that had to sell you know hundreds less, of thousands yeah. so uh, it's possible that they can do quite well but it would run the risk of looking very regional if you see what I mean very much like a local paper as opposed to which haven't done that well a national so paper yeah oh, the last time I was on we were talking about uh, New Day so if I'm ever invited back on we'll see then and that's already gone so we'll see whether... well, you could be the kiss of death <laughs> um, well staying with the press for one more story the Sun's website has had a makeover uh, I understand you both have access to the world wide web I do, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you think of the Sun's digital strategy? Well, the first time I looked at the news, I logged in, I'd look at the Sun every day. Obviously, it's important for what I do uh, in my work. And I looked, at the, I looked at it the other day, and uh, I genuinely forgot. I thought I was looking at BuzzFeed, basically. I, re- I wondered for a moment, why is BuzzFeed gone all right wing? <laughs> I genuinely thought, because the first story was about the, the, the dad that gave David Cameron a shoeing on the sort of referendum debate. And then the next story, there was like three shoeing or four stories. Shoeing again? Was, yeah, it was, uh, yeah no, it was like he took him to... I was reading all the stories thinking, God, BuzzFeed's gone really right wing. What's going on? I genuinely realised, and this is not a word line. I went, oh, God, I'm looking at the sun. I just clicked on the, you know, I just, you know, 
was looking at my phone. So it basically looks like BuzzFeed. Because you've got listicles saying that nine reasons well, that tits already, are good. They've obviously already they've already gone a bit listicle, but they're more prominent now. And the way they lay it, the font is just like BuzzFeed. I Eleven think. reasons you should still um, be buying a newspaper. And it really is. <laughs> and paying like, for your sport. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like BuzzFeed, basically. They've just gone, well, that, yeah. people like that, let's do this. But I honestly thought I was looking at BuzzFeed. Thought, well, it's not just really? the redesign, though. It's their digital strategy has been stuffed for a while because obviously they, they decided to be a massive paywall to start with Murdoch had his argument with Google so they weren't coming up on searches and I think they really had to have a, a revamp because firstly they didn't have a digital team they just kind of really had bingo and sport and that was what they were getting their subscriptions through for they didn't have a news site per se so they didn't have anyone there to do it and now they have got that and they are trying to revamp it but having taken down the paywall i think most people don't even realize they can now read the sun online yeah it took me so a while they've to had to revamp it, it in order to have people a reason to go back go to back the sun to website you know so to be honest that old man has done quite a lot to damage their digital presence that old man um, i'd be <laughs> well, interested to see what buzzfeed now do given everyone's copied them like so digital spies gone like buzzfeed the sun have obviously the daily mail looks a bit more buzzfeed than it used to not quite so much because they already a distinct look but it'd be interesting to see what they do next because they are the brand leader in this area because if everyone's doing what they're doing now what do they do to innovate they're going to print a daily paper and circulate <laughs> it around the country yeah, yeah. astrology the column yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> crosswords the lot uh, okay but a promising reasonably promising launch I mean we are you know slightly pissing all over the sun but actually you know, if you were in charge of the sun's online strategy it looks a little bit more optimistic now than it did three months ago doesn't it yeah, the fact that they have no, there's no paywall, yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're back in the game. Uh, okay, let's stay with the reviews. Top Gear, we're now two episodes in. Uh, Leon, apply your experience telebrain to this. What have you made of Chris Evans' Top Gear? It's like, quite loud. If I was 12 years old, I'd probably quite like it. Yeah, well, Chris Evans came out all guns blazing, didn't he, after the first Fact. show? Yes, Fact. He did a Rafa Benitez, as it's known in the film. I think it was more David Brent, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, well, here's the quote. The new Top Gear is a hit, officially, all caps, at 23% audience share, 12% caps, more than the opening of the last series. These are the caps. Facts. Facts. Uh, fair enough? Well, you can mass the figures are higher multitude of sins, yeah, and the, the, the overall figures were down. I thought the thing that would surprise me by about Monday or Tuesday or the week after it launched, there was lots of figures coming out about how well it was doing on iPlayer. There's a million people watching up on iPlayer. And the BBC don't generally release figures like that. The BBC don't release individual figures for like iPlayer, very rarely. And the BBC obviously were worried and trying to massage it a bit and trying to get these figures out there. The other thing I thought was surprising, there was this thing about 9 million people watching the first episode. That, I don't think, is actually the consolidated figure. The consolidated figure is will, I think, come out today, maybe. And it will be left, I think they're including repeats in that figure, which is not the general thing to do in in television land you don't include repeats in, in viewing figures because obviously people can watch the same show twice it's not exactly it's not it's not distinct viewers uh, so the fact this 9 million figure appeared last week I was like that's not true that's a weird thing that's, television broadcasters internally use those figures sometimes just so they can know how many people watch a show over a given week but it's not the same as a consolidated figure mm. and I think they were trying their best to sort of make a, a good situation out of a bad one but in its favour Matt LeBlanc, surprisingly yeah, good, isn't right. he? Yeah, he's really good. It's probably yeah. the best bit about it. It was quite a releva- revelation. I thought he was going to be sort of typically American and a terrible idea, but he was actually probably the best bit. Can do irony. In that first yeah, quite who funny. Knew, who knew a brilliant episode? comic actor would be able to do, be good in VTs? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. People don't think of Top Gear as a scripted show, do they? Yeah. Weirdly, <laughs> they think of it as, as something that's sort of ad-libbed and they're yeah, all they good did. mates. People didn't realise they had the whole teams of writers. No. But it was well, Clarkson, not, Hammond not, and May literally having these team. off-the-cuff conversations. Not T. There was a few writers on it, but not, not team. Clarkson's a brilliant writer and so the other two are good yeah. writers. So yeah, but they were, re- they were they're fundamentally good writers 
three of them. But the and delivery that, is that of a good comic actor, isn't it? That's what you need. Yes, yeah, and they, and they 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 very good. They're good actors, the three of them as well. And and yeah, Joey, or oh, sorry, Matt <laughs> is a good actor. Showing your age. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, before we go, there is just time for our media quiz. Regular listeners. This week, the quiz is entitled Whisper It. Whisper it. Uh, we at the Media Podcast have noticed a few projects have been cancelled very quietly this week. Uh, and we also know that ASMR videos do really well on YouTube. So in this game, I'll whisper the story to you several times, an increasing volume, and the first one to correctly hear what I've said gets the point. This is the first time we've done a game where I think I could actually do this on Celebrity Juice. And, <laughs> and, actually, and it'd be even weird for us. Okay, so yeah. let's go for this. If, if you're listening and you do work in radio, producer Matt is available for commissions. He's very good at formatting. Okay, best of three, buzz in with your name. So, Leon, you'll say... Leon. And Susie, you'll say... Very good. So creepy. Uh, the winner is promoted upstairs. Right, here's question number one. The Jonathan Ross show will end this year. We don't have headphones Ross on. The Jonathan Ross show will end this year. Leon. Leon. What uh, was Jonathan I saying? Ross show uh, it may, is not coming back for this after Christmas. Yeah, and that's the year. story. Could you hear what I was saying? You were saying Jonathan Ross show is cancelled this year? Well, the, the, oh, sorry, I didn't realise that was the game. I have to try. <laughs> oh, God, this is weird. He wasn't saying anything the See, first time. He was yeah, just mouthing stuff. Was you couldn't do this on Celebrity Juice. It's <laughs> well, too hard to explain. Uh, shouting one out is sort of this, actually. Yeah, it the is, actually. Yeah. The, game we're doing here. Um, the Jonathan Ross show will end this year, was what I was saying. Oh, okay. Uh, that's the story. Uh, yeah. Leon, you've got the point. Explain the story. Well, I think a lot of it's contained within that sentence. Well, it's an allegedly. It's, it's an allegedly, to and ITV. I think basically, Jonathan Rocho normally runs from October to April, uh, and it has done for the last three or four years. And they're saying it won't be back in January, so it's going to do the run from October to December. But I don't think they're saying it's necessarily cancelled. They say it's not going to do the second half of its run. I had heard whisperings of this beforehand, so I think 
it doesn't surprise me. I, I think Jonathan's brilliant. I think they've already said they want to keep him on ITV, but I think that show maybe could do with a bit of a rest. You know, it's, it's, it's on for 30 weeks a year. It's really hard to get the right guests now with obviously Norton cleaning up everyone. And I think that actually taking a little break may not be the worst thing in the world. I, I actually like Jonathan Ross show, and I think Jonathan Ross is great. I'm not just saying I think he's brilliant, but I think it maybe could do with a break. I think I echo every single word you've just said. Do you agree, though, Susie, or do you think... He's throwing in the dustbin and stamping yep. Why? on. It's hackneyed, old-fashioned, trite, dated, and a waste of time. It's a chat show. Yeah, it's you, like I mean, Parky. It's 40 years past what it's supposed to be doing. He's trying to be like... Jay Leno or someone, yeah, I think little you, monologues to audience, sitting behind a desk and you know asking incredibly obsequious and flattering questions of people. He's not got any journalistic nous. You don't have to have been a journalist to have journalistic nous. You have to be the kind of person who asks searching questions of people. And he's just not interesting to watch. I, I find him extremely irritating. Oh, I think right? he's, I think because he loves very, himself. So much. He does like himself. He's a very he's a very knowledgeable um, interview. I think at the times. I think the problem. A little bit with UK chat shows is obviously the Americans are innovating very strongly with Corden and Kimmel and all those shows, mm. and we haven't quite got there. Uh, Norton's just doing just there actually just put great guests on, and that's one strategy, and it works pretty well for Norton. Just briefly, whilst I've got you on this, because I know you used to produce Graham Norton's show. Yes. What do you make of the fact that so often, as in literally every time I watch it, they've got two Hollywood stars on promoting the same film? That just doesn't seem like it should be on the BBC to me. Well, I, I've asked the commissioner about this. Isn't? Sometimes they have all, when they did the Spider-Man special, they had all three of them. And, I mean, that's and just an extended ad. It is a little bit, and is a, there's a fun, there's, you know, there's a lot of conversations that take place, take, take place internally at the BBC surrounding those. It's not, it's not done without thought, and they are. You'll notice when the language they use to introduce the guests will often say it's the star of Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield. It's the star of, um, you know, Easy A. It's Emma Stone. And actually, they'll try and they have to use the little things like that. They'll have to do to try and make it less Spider-Man-y, even though there's three clips of Spider-Man in it and a bloody Spider-Man sketch to start with. But they do try and they do have to try and minimise the mentions of the Spider-Man or whatever the film might be. But it's just fundamentally wrong, isn't it? I, it doesn't matter whether I, they get away with it or not. I, it's just I, not right. I don't. I'm not a fan of it. Yes, and, and it's but obviously the, I didn't see the problem with that. The all the PR got, people dictating who's on yeah, the show. Yeah, because the PR well, that's, people that's what are in are, town. Chat shows are always brave, Yeah, so. because the PR people and those celebrities are in town that week to promote their film. That is the reason they're here. That's why you would get Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone or Kate Beckinsale and George Clooney or something. You can get them on the same sofa at the same time. You have the star-studded so, lineup. So, so on question time this week, we've got them. George Osborne, Theresa May, I'd, David Cameron, Michael. You know what? You don't have to ask them all the same things. And Norton is. Very good as an interviewer. He really does make it but far different. It used to be the case that the big star would go on Norton and, or the big show and then the, the rest would get sort of dribbled out through you know, the, the other stars of a film. But basically Norton are so keen to have all the big guests. They don't want any of the big guests going to Norton or any um, to, to Jonathan Ross or Chatham. So they will just take, if there's three big stars in a, show, in a film, if it's the Avengers, they will want all of them, all the big three. And they will then build it around them and then they'll leave the other chat shows to have the, the leftovers. Okay. In the past it might have been more mixed up but now it's like we want all of them. Well, you're, you're both A-list, obviously, in the context of this. Uh, here is question number two. Uh, here goes. Wimbledon today will not return. I'm going to say it again. Wimbledon today Susie. will not return. Yes, Susie. Uh, Wimbledon today has been dumped. Hooray! Yes, Wimbledon today will not return, was what I was saying. Uh, today at Wimbledon <laughs> will have a traditional look and feel. And correct words and letters in the word to make the right phonetic sound. Here's question number three. <laughs> BuzzFeed pulls out of multi-million dollar... BuzzFeed has pulled out Susie. Well, well, Susie's got <laughs> every, it. Every time he does it, I think he, he's had a breakdown. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's had a stroke. He's <laughs> like he's mouthing like a guppy fish. Um, yeah, BuzzFeed yes. has uh, pulled out of a deal to carry some of 
Trump's presidential adverts. Yes. They did have an agreement with the Republican National Committee, I think they're called, to mm-hmm. do that with the eventual winner. Uh, but when it looks like now that Trump is going to be a nominee, they're saying, uh, no, don't want to. Which is fair enough or not? Uh, yes. I suppose it's fair enough if you're a liberal, lefty, London media type. But that major political party, there's only two of them in the US, and they're saying to two of the, one of the two major political parties, we don't want your money, even though you've chosen your candidate using a democratic process. Yes. And you Which, think, yes, good on them? No, I don't. I think really it's probably a bit short-sighted because uh, you've got to have money to run well, a news we'll- outlet, number one. And also, a lot of the... They were going to have an agreement with the RNC, okay? So if it wasn't Trump that was the nominee, they would have had uh, a deal anyway to carry advertising about Ted Cruz or any of the others. And they were arguably more right-wing than Donald Trump is and more offensive if you actually drill down into some of their views. Trump has some very offensive and horrible things to say, but he's also a little bit liberal on some issues, which Ted Cruz arguably was not. So if you're prepared to carry Ted Cruz's adverts, but not Donald Trump's, it kind of looks like you're just giving in to a a very stupid, dumbed-down idea of what his political message is. It's specifically about the racism, though. I think think that he is... Like, Cruz is very right-wing, and Trump is pretty much right-wing with weird bits of liberalism in there. But I think it's specifically about the, the, the kind of anti-Mexican the immigration thing. Issue, I think that is yeah. a, and the thing he said this week about refu- you wouldn't be judged by a Mexican judge. I mean, that, that's kind of like the start of Nazism, really. That, kind of, that's how these things start. I, I won't be judged by people that are different races to me. Mm. That, I think, so I think they're justifying it purely for that alone. What he said, I thought, was that's just literally prejudice. But do you want to alienate kind of mainstream conservative readers, you know, who, who might be young and no. in your target demographic? in every other way but they do vote Republican they might not like Trump either commercially it might be the wrong thing to do uh, you know it, arguably it might be uh, but, but I think it's good that they're making some kind of stand I don't generally agree with like censorship in that way but it's not going to harm them too much because the BuzzFeed demographic is not no, the average not, Trump supporter no. uh, and their demographic is probably going to quite like the fact that they've um, refused to deal with Trump but you know their target demographic probably also is probably not aware they did have this deal with the Republicans anyway and they were going to do it eventually so Okay, well, Susie, 2-1. You've won the quiz. Uh, Leon, as Trump would say, you're fired. Uh, (laughs) That's it for today's show. Thank you. Uh, If you are new to the show, well, hi there. Uh, If you subscribe, you can get us every fortnight, bang on time, soon as we're released, fresh media news. You can do it via the podcast app on your iPhone, or you can use Pocket Casts if you've got an Android phone, or you just prefer the way they lay things out. Uh, There's a whole number of other podcatchers as well, of course. And subscribing means you will never miss an episode. So please go and do that now. Press subscribe. Thank you. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer. Matt Hill, the media podcast, is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.